All right, 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we are studying God's word. So I'd like to read verses 22 to 26, uh, 25 as we, Lord willing, uh, bring this chapter to a close this week. Uh, but follow along as I read. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for, for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, in all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you so much for being able to come together as we exercise our gifts, as we just pray together, just fellowship together, one with another and with you. And again, once again, we thank you that the word of God is living. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Father. We have the privilege of opening it up. And as we continue in our study of 1 Peter, we are so grateful that the Holy Spirit continues to do his work. And Father, as we get into an area that sometimes is sensitive to us and really is an honest challenge to us, we pray that you'd help us to be open to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Thank you for the privilege of being here, and we pray that your work would be unhindered in each individual life, beginning with mine, as we preach the word. And thank you for this opportunity, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Somebody has, if we could, no, that, I'm not looking to embarrass anybody, but just a good reminder sometimes, do you want to put your uh, phones on vibrate and so forth, and your music? I, I didn't, no, I'm not, I don't, now I'm knowing where it is, because I didn't mean to do that, sorry, Prudence. No, I, I mean, the whole church is now looking at you, that's, that's my fault, that was not love of the brethren, what I just did. <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> I, just, I didn't know where it was coming from at first. I better shut up now. Okay, let's go. <laughs> we just read the passage. All right, let's get into the Word of God. The title for this morning's message is something that we all know that we should do, and that is to love one another. Love one another. Last week in our study of 1 Peter, as we came through verse 24, uh, we saw the high cost of our salvation. We have seen that in our study together that the cost of our salvation was the shed blood of the Lamb of God. It was the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we sometimes, as believers, take that for granted. Oh yeah, he shed his blood. Yeah, he left his glory above. He came to this earth and took on flesh. The God that we just sang about. Indescribable. Names the stars. Gives us the sunlight. He came took on flesh, and bore the penalty of our sin. That's the cost of our salvation. And as time goes by, we forget that. And he reminded us as he closed off in verse 21, if you look at it, that our faith and our hope rest in God. It doesn't rest in us. It doesn't rest in a church. It doesn't rest in people. It rests in the one true and living God. 
And Peter has been telling us in this very first chapter, which we're finally coming to an end of the first chapter, he's told us throughout the chapter as believers, we need to prepare ourselves daily, every day. Why? Because we will face persecution, though I'm not sure we really face it in the United States that much, but right now that may be true, but it's coming. We don't face much persecution, but we will, and we do certainly face trials every day. So Peter is telling us to prepare ourselves, and how do we do that? By preparing our mind, preparing our thinking, we've seen in chapter 1, and by living a holy life. And we've really expounded upon that to say it's a lot more than sexuality. That holy life is dealing with every aspect of decision-making and conforming ourselves in response to the word of God. Many think that because I'm morally, in the sense of sexuality, living a holy life, that that's it. No, it's not. We've seen that together. Well, trials will come, so Peter has been encouraging believers as they're facing trials to live this godly life. Because we will face those trials, as we have seen, first of all, and we don't think of it in this order, but that's how it is. First of all, from our own flesh, from who we are, then from the world, and then from the devil. And unfortunately, and I say this sincerely, unfortunately, because the scriptures are abundant in dealing with this, we face trials from other believers. We face trials from one another. So, knowing who we are in Christ, he's taught us that, knowing that we belong to the one true living God, knowing the cost of our salvation last week, knowing that our inheritance beyond this world is undefiled, that will never fade away, it's reserved in heaven for us, chapter 1, and knowing that we are called the holy living, in preparing for these trials, really, where do we begin? Where do we start from a practical point of view in preparing ourselves every day? Well, here it is, folks. And Peter's got four more chapters to deal with trials. It begins with loving the brethren. It begins with loving one another. Why does it begin here? Let me just give you a very quick thought process here in a very familiar passage. Keep your finger here. Go to John chapter 13. You could probably quote this to me, but let's look at it. Why does preparing for trials, why does living a godly life for Christ begin with loving the brethren? Number one, it's because Jesus commanded that we do this. And in John chapter 13, let me just narrow down to verses 31 to 35, which we know. And it's interesting, the context of this is actually right after he announces he's going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. But he says, therefore, verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in me. If God is glorified in me, God will also glorify him in himself and will glory, uh, glorify himself immediately. 
Little children, notice the compassion here. I am with you a little longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, and this is the part we all know, that you love one another. Now, many don't like to look at the next words. Let's look at it, though. Even as I have loved you. Hold on to that this morning. We ought to love one another. Yes. What does that mean? Everybody can talk about, well, we're all supposed to love one another. We better love one another. Yes. Look at the rest of the words. Even as Christ has loved you, that you also love one another. And why do this? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How will other people know that you are the disciple of Christ? Because you say so. Uh-uh. There are millions of people today who are saying they are disciples of Christ who are false disciples. He says, they will know that you are my disciple. How? He says it right here. If you have love for one another. That's a conditional clause. If you have one, love one for another. Well, I do. Even as Christ loves you, that is the type of love he's talking about. That is the type of love he's talking about. So why does it begin here? Because first of all, Jesus commanded that as the disciples of Jesus Christ, as those who have the things that Peter has been talking about, he has told us very clearly that we ought to love one another because that's how people are going to really know we belong to Christ in the midst of the trials. Unfortunately, that's point number two, why does it begin here? Because this is where many of the battles are, and you will see that this morning. This is where we really fail, without exception, starting with the guy that's preaching. Without fail, everyone in this room who professes Christ fails right here in loving the brethren the way Christ loved us. Thirdly, it begins here because we need the support of one another. Did you hear that? I need you. You need me. No, I don't. You should do. This side needs that side. This side needs that side. I'm just dealing with our own assembly. We need one another. I enjoy vacation, but when I go on vacation, we continue to pray as a family. I continue to pray for you. I hope you do that for me as well and for one another. Why? We need one another. We need the gifts being exercised by the body of Christ. We need you. You need us. Why? Christ said so. Remember, we ought to be known for our love. But let's be honest. Among professing Christianity, in my opinion, among professing Christianity, we are known for anything but our love. You say, that's right, Fellowship Bible Church. No, no, that's true. But it's all believers. There are some that have a lot of love, and you'll say, wow, that's the most loving church for Jesus Christ. 
Are they really loving as Christ loved them? Or is this all emotional, entertainment, just social type of love that looks like it's love, but in reality, the things that we're going to talk about this morning are still going on. You see, it's the Church of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, the Church of Jesus Christ, people want nothing to do with the church. And I'm talking about the true church because of the fighting. Because of the criticism. All they see in the public sector is people criticizing one another. Criticizing the Church of Jesus Christ. Showing favoritism. Seeking vengeance on something that happened 35 years ago. Backbiting. And then you want to tell that person, come on to church? You want to tell that person, listen to the gospel I want to present? When all they've heard from you at work or in the neighborhood is the criticism? Or you've been out having a cup of coffee and everybody around you has been hearing, yeah, you know what's going on? You know what that person did this time? You know what that person did that time? And you don't think they're listening? And then you're going to say, hey, by the way, can I tell you about Christ? Are you kidding me? That's the reality. Oh, we say, we, we know. That's the command. Love one another as Christ told us to love one another. So let's see what Peter has to say about this. It's not important what Pastor Dan has to say. What did Peter say? Who's able, first of all, to do this? Who is able to love one another, to love the brethren? Chapter 1, verse 22, just the first part of it. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. That's how it begins. Who is able to do this? Believers and only believers. Only believers in Jesus Christ are going to be able to love one another as we're talking about here. Why? Because they have been, look at the verse, in obedience to the truth. What is truth? People ask that today. Thy word is truth. We are living in a world today in which nobody knows what the truth is. The truth is what I want to make it the truth. The truth is what I want to believe is the truth. That's not reality. You are living a dream in a fog. It isn't what you make it is. The truth is what it is. And the one who determines that is God. And he says that his word is truth. And he says, you have, in obedience to that truth, what you have responded, you have appropriated by your faith in the gospel. That's what we've learned. That's what he means. You need to understand the context of that. Since you have an obedience, the obedience to the truth is the people that Peter is writing to have responded by faith to that which has been presented to them, and they are truly disciples of Christ. They have purified their souls. Remember that? The only salvation that counts is the salvation of the soul, not of the physical being. We saw that. If, what, what, was it, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? It doesn't matter at all, scriptures say. But he says, you believed it and you have purified your soul. Turn with me just for a moment to Romans. Keep your finger here. Go to Romans chapter 3, just for one moment here to set the tone. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 21. I want you to see it. And then we're going to look at one other thing in Roman, Romans, so keep your finger in Romans too. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. 
It says, but now apart from the law, apart from the Ten Commandments, apart from the law of Moses, apart from doing things for good works, the righteousness of God has been made manifest, being witnessed, witnessed by the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, it all testifies of God. Even the righteousness of God, now watch this, how does it come? Through faith, where is that faith to be? In Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There is no distinction. Why? For all have sinned and, come and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, watch this, being declared righteous, in other words, as a gift. Salvation is a gift. God offers it as a gift. How? He goes on. Um, salvation, uh, being justified as a gift by his grace. Through what? We just studied this in Peter. The redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly. That's why people know about Jesus all over the world. As a propitiation or a satisfaction in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate what? His righteousness. You see, God is holy. God is righteous. We saw that in Peter. He demands that the payment be paid. We can't do it. Christ did it. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of who? The one who's put his faith in Jesus. That's the one that gets justified. And he says that we have believed that truth. We have been, uh, become the children of God. We have been justified. We've been declared righteous by God, not because of us, but the free gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and has purified our souls. So he says that we are capable of sincere, and I said I wanted you to, Stay in Romans for a second. Here's why. Go to Romans chapter 12. And then we'll go right back to Peter. Sincere love. Why? Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. That is in a list of commands. Everybody knows Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, I, by the mercies of God, let your bodies be a living sacrifice. And then he goes on, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we could quote that over and over, and nobody goes any further. But in that passage, one of them is, let love be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? It is to be unhypocritical. It's not just words. And if you go back now to 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, you've obeyed the truth. You've purified your souls. For the purpose of what? Sincere, unadulterated, unhypocritical love of the brethren. You're the ones that can do it. You who believe in Christ. You are capable of that. The unbeliever cannot do it. In fact, they are often hostile to believers. They are antagonistic of believers. They don't want Christianity. They can't love that way, but we can and we could not before. That is because of the work of Christ. So, even if we meet people for the first time, isn't that amazing, by the way? Let me just take you to that. Have you ever been in an airport, or you ever go visiting, or been on vacation, and you run into somebody, and you just sense there's something about it, and then you find out they're a believer, and they find out you're a believer, and all of a sudden there's this relationship. How is that possible? Because of the work of Christ. I met him for the very first time. And all of a sudden, there's a rapport. You're able to love that person because you are a believer and they're a believer. It's amazing. 
Okay? But now what? Now that you are capable, how are we to love one another? There's a command. In 1 Peter chapter 1, here's the command. The rest of verse 22. All right, now you are able to do that. And here's what he says you to do. Fervently love one another from the heart. There's the command. That is the heart of the verse. He says, you're the one that's capable. Only believers can do it. We are fervently. What does that mean? The word means deeply. It means with a lot of energy. It actually comes from a term that you might understand when you talk about physical exercise. One, trans one person translated this, and I thought very well, stretch it to the limit. It's like a person is doing exercise, and they're going as far as they can go, and the muscles are starting to hurt, and they can feel it. They haven't hurt the muscles as far as damaging, but they've gone as far as they can go with all their energy. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I command you to love the brethren in this way, stretching every bit of your being into it. And now he turns from the brotherly love to the word agape. Why? Because it takes your will and it takes your sacrificing and it takes you loving as Christ loved you. That's what he says to the brother. He says, now that you're capable of doing this because you've obeyed, he says, well, here it is. Do it. Have the agape love from one another from the heart. What does that mean? Not just with words. I want you to see just something quickly, and I'm really going to make the rest of this practical, I hope. Go to Proverbs 23 for just a moment. Here's what's very possible to do. Proverbs 23. Proverbs, we studied the book of Proverbs in the evening messages, but I want you to see verse 23, uh, chapter 23, verses 6 and 7. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. Why? For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink. But what? What does it say? How does it with you? Who is that? That's a selfish man. That's a deceitful person. What is it? They say eat and drink. In other words, they make it look good by their words. Oh, I love you. But their heart isn't in it. Their heart's not with you. Go to Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26. Verse 22. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. Boy, we're going to see that in a second. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross, are burning lips with a wicked heart. Interesting. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, and wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. It'll come become known. What will happen? This is the person who's talking to you, saying they love you. This is the person in the outward sounds good, and within their hearts, they're covering hatred, guile, and I'm going to tell you that happens with brethren in Christ. They're very cordial on the outside. And they'll talk to your face, and the minute they get away from you, they're talking about you. 
That's deceit. That is not love at all. While they're thinking they're the most loving people in the world. And the only ones they're deceiving is they're falling right into Jeremiah because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It needs to be seen by action. We'll make it practical, Pastor Dan. I hope to do that. All right? We know the command. Love one another fervently. And why are we addressing loving the brethren? And here's why. Because I said the trials come from the brethren. Turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 2. Let's go. James chapter 2. What are you talking about? What happens with the brethren? What do you mean? It's very easy to say among the brethren, I love you or love one another, when in reality this type of stuff happens. What? Chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus with the attitude of personal favoritism. Wow. For if a man comes into your assembly with gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, how practical is that? And you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and you say, you sit in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down on a footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? That's pretty straightforward. That's favoritism. And by the way, little side trip, very quickly. Our world is using the concept of favoritism and discrimination wrong. The word of God does not teach that you cannot have close friends because the book of James teaches you can. The Lord had close friends. He had close friends within close friends. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that. He is not teaching that we are not to recognize biblical distinctions. When we talk about discrimination today, people say everybody's got to be on equal grounds, and that means everybody's got to have the same look. And you don't have the same talent, you don't have the same ability, you don't have the same intelligence, and that is not true discrimination. We should not be discriminating because a person's black, white, yellow, red, or any color or anything like that. That's what the scriptures teach. But it doesn't throw out distinctions. The scriptures very clearly make distinctions between male and female. Husbands, wives, parents, children. I could go on and on. And our world wants to throw that all away. That's not what God wants to do. But he doesn't want us to show favoritism like we're talking about here. He doesn't want us to be in the situation where deep in our heart we're looking for gain or we think this person's better because of the way they're dressed. Do believers do that? Absolutely they do that especially when it comes to young people. That young person's not dressing the way I dress. Good thing. I wouldn't want our young people to dress the way I am. My kids still talk about my flowery shirts from the 60s and 70s because I used to embarrass them. True story, right? But yet, sometimes we judge by the way they work. They look on the surface. You mean brethren do that? That's why James addresses that. Go with me to James chapter 3. You don't think... Tests come from the brethren? Go to James chapter 3. The whole chapter deals with the tongue. Let me make it simple for time's sake. Go to verse 9. When we bless the Lord the Father and we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God, from the same mouth come blessing 
and cursing my brethren, these ought not to be the way. That's pretty straightforward. We say, praise God. And then five minutes later, we're cursing not only men, but brethren. And James had to address that. How in the world is that the love of Christ? You're showing favoritism. You're using your tongue. Go with me uh, to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. What is the source? Look at this. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? You say, well, it's the world and all the pressure and all the persecution. That's not what James says. Look at the verse. Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious, you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. Where do the fights and quarrels come? From you. And that means me too. You do not have. Why? You don't even ask. You're not even praying. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. All it is is get, 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 so that you may spend it on your pleasures. How does he look at that? You adulteresses, do you not know? What is all of that? What is the concept of loving that way, quote, unquote, of the quarrels among us, of the wrong motives in our prayers? It's friendship with the world. And he says, don't you know the friendship with the world is hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, and that, my friend, let me just take a little side trip here, that is a warning against all worship services, all worship services, including our own, who would dare want to be like the world so that the world accepts that worship. You try to be a friend with the world, and you are an enemy of Christ. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Do you think that the scriptures speaks in vain? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He wants us to be alive. You know, we're dealing with favoritism. We're dealing with tongues. We're dealing with uh, friendship of the world. Go to verse 11, same chapter, just for a minute. Do not speak against who? One another. What's the next word? Brethren. Don't speak against one another. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. Answer it in your heart. When is the last time that you spoke evil of anybody, let's make it simple, in this church. You say, well, it wasn't really evil. Be honest with your heart. Be honest with your heart. Look what he says. Don't speak evil one against the other. Why? He who speaks brother, uh, speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law, but if you're a judge of the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge yourself. That's what it says. That's pretty strong stuff. He says, and just the ones I touched upon, I probably have to stop hearing James right now, but the idea of favoritism, the idea of using our tongue, the idea of being a friend with the world, the idea of this is basically backbiting one another. It was warned against this by the Apostle Paul. I'll read it to you. In Galatians chapter 5, listen to this. He says this. You were called to a freedom, and this is the area where it hits us, in what we call, quote, unquote, Christian liberty. By the way, there is no such thing. What? We have been called to freedom. 
I am free in Christ, period. It isn't a part of my life. It is my life. And he says here, you've been called to freedom, only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh. But through, here it is again, love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You say, I know that. But, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed one of another. And that, in my, my friend, is what the church of Jesus Christ is doing. It is consuming itself. It is doing the very things that it tells the world not to do because it's not exercising the love that God's called us to. You say, fine, that's, I see James. How about if I try to make it more practical for you? How do you feel? And by the way, I got nobody in mind. Nobody whatsoever. How would you feel if somebody is singing in the choir and basically they're getting a little older so their voice is terrible? That's kind of practical, isn't it? And it's not picking on anybody, but it can happen. How do you feel toward them? Can you love them anyway? How about a young person comes in and they have dungarees with a hole in them or they have a shirt that you don't like? Let me make it worse. The hair is blue, green, and red and it's sticking up in the air. <laughs> Honestly. And you look at them and you say, oh, oh, glad they're not part of my family. And then you find out they're a believer. Oh, believer? How could that person possibly be a believer? Yeah, that's really loving the brethren. Really loving them. That music's a little different. Are you kidding me? Drums? Guitar? Get me out of here. Really? That's, go talk about it behind the scenes. That's loving the brethren. Without really examining things before the Lord. You know, that person didn't speak to me in church last week. I walked right by Pastor Dan. He just looked the other way. He kept going, do you know that guy's like? I tell you, I, wouldn't, I don't want to stay at the church anymore. That guy, I didn't even see you. Well, see, that's even worse. He doesn't even notice me anymore. So for the next three weeks, I ain't talking to him. And he calls himself a pastor. These things don't happen, right? These things aren't real. This is the way we love one another. Or you say, you know, Pastor Dan's getting dangerous. I sit on the right side of the church. He wants me to shake hands with the people on the left side of the church. I moved over to the right side just to get away from the people on the left side. <laughs> and that's loving the brethren. I really love them. Really. How about when somebody makes a decision? Right away, you're going to think of leadership. So let's start. Let's pick on leadership. Leadership makes a decision. And they make a decision. What, changing the bulletin now? What are they going to change next? Now let's get it down below the leadership. Did you see what that person did? They're changing the nursery. Are you kidding? The kitchen doesn't operate the way I used to operate the kitchen. The ushers, they haven't got a clue. They're letting kids come up here now and usher. What's the matter with them? Nothing. But it's an attitude that we get. Well, you know, that person's got a strong personality. I don't want to talk to them. They don't make me comfortable. Well, that person, you kidding? You can't say anything to them. They're so weak. Yeah, they have no Christian stand whatsoever. Oh, I know. You got it all. That person lives there. 
I don't want to pick them up. Let me give you a real practical situation that happened in North Andover. I can remember very distinctly somebody visiting the church, and you know what? Honestly, they stunk. It was a street person. Nobody wanted to take that person in a car to the motel. True story. They were willing to give money to take that person and have that person be in the motel. But let them in my car, my car's new. So what? Where's the love? You're really worried about that? Go get your car detailed afterwards. Save the money from the motel. You kidding me? Did you see that guy come in with an earring on? And that girl, she's got three of them. One here, one there, and one stuck in her arm. <laughs> no, I'm, on, I'm, being, I'm being honest, folks. I really am. I'm trying to make it as practical. And we say, oh, we ought to love one another. I love one another. Pastor Dan's the guy that doesn't love one another. That guy's personality is so strong. And, and he, you know, that guy doesn't love anybody. But I love everybody. Did you see the earrings on that person? And that person has tattoos. Don't ever let them take their shoes off because they got a tattoo on their big toe. Now, I, I am being a little facetious, but I hope you're getting the message, folks. We are the ones who say, I love the brethren right from the heart, and I want to challenge Pastor Dan and the leaders. You really need to love us because we're the ones that are really loving, and you're not the ones that are really loving, and you guys are the ones that are backbiting, and you guys are the ones that are talking, or we are. And that's the love of Christ. You see, that's where the battles start, with us. How are we to function? Very quickly, go to 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter, I think. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look ahead to what we're going to study. Look at verse 8, and let me make it practical. Above all, above all, keep fervent, there it is again, in your love, who? For one another. Why? Watch this. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I'll just say this for now. We will cover that later. Can't you overlook the, the fact that that person didn't talk to you in the hall? Or they did something against you and it hurt? Or their hair doesn't look like you? Or they don't wear the same color suit that you wore? Or they don't even wear a suit? Can't you overlook that for the love of Christ and recognize the fact that that's a brother that Christ died for? And just as Christ loves you the way you are, you ought to love them the way they are? I don't know, that's pretty hard stuff. It is. And it will overlook. And there are so many believers that are still holding on to things from 15 years ago. 10 years ago, listen. If I am holding on to anything for 10 to 15 years, I don't have the love of Christ in me. And neither do you. That is not the way Christ loves. And is destroying the church of Jesus Christ universally. In fact, I will give you some references because I want to get to something else. One of the very signs of whether you are a believer is I can't over. Let's go. First John chapter two. I, I want you to see this. Then we'll go to the other text. First John chapter two. 
Beginning in verse 8. One of the evidences that you are a child of God is not what you say. Watch. Chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 8. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, I am a believer, in other words, and yet he hates his brother? <laughs> Folks, you're in darkness till now. You're a liar. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. He's able to look at the brother and say, yeah, you're right. They have that in their life. God's grace will work in their life. He works in mine. Yeah, I don't have to worry whether or not they spoke to the third person that spoke to the fourth person that went to the sixth person, and I don't agree with that stand. Not easy. How about chapter 3, same book, 1 John. Look at verse 10, in case you think that's one verse. By this, the children of God and the children of who? Come on. You don't want to talk about it, huh? Let me try it again. By this, the children of God and the children of? The devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. If I'm not exercising love toward my brother, I don't belong to God. I don't care what I say. That's why God, Jesus Christ, said, by this they're going to know. They'll know. They'll see it. You don't have to tell them. They'll be ready to hear the gospel when they see it. In the life, chapter 4. Same book. Look at verse 10 first. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son, he took some action to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. That's pretty strong. For the one who does not love his brethren whom he can see cannot love God who he hasn't seen. How can you look at somebody and see the failures in that Christian brother's life? Oh, that doesn't mean, this is not dealing with the fact that we are not to correct one another. That's a whole different subject, and the scriptures give us guidelines. We are to correct one another because we love them. But honestly, let's, let's admit it. Peter's addressing this right away as the first part of the trials because the real trial in, his, in our life is we don't look at it as hate. I don't think there's anyone in this room that would ever turn around and say, I hate this person, I hate that person. I would hope that would be the case. But by our actions, it's the way we behave. They didn't talk to me. They hurt me. They did this to me. They did that to me. How many things did you do to Christ? How many things did you say that you shouldn't have said? And Christ forgives you. You want to love the brethren? Love them. Pray for them. Don't talk to everybody else about them. Pick them up. Help them. That's not practical enough? Go 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's go there. You say, fine, we talk about love. What does it look like? Well, I tried to be pretty practical in some situations with you. I hope some of that relates to the world we live in. How about 1 Corinthians 13? Let's take a look at what the scriptures say love looks like. 
not just tithe. This is always used as weddings. I would love to go back to couples after they're married 10 years and say, uh, go back and look at the scripture reading that you chose to read. How you doing? Eeks. That includes me. Let's take a quick look. Very quick. Verse 4. Love is patient. Uh, we might be in trouble already. True brethren love is patient. What is that? That, that is the word for long-suffering. Aren't you glad that when you fall into sin, God doesn't strike you down? I am. Aren't you glad that when there's sin in your life, you go to the Lord and you say, you know, thank you for being convicting in my life. I'm sorry, and I thank you. You're so long-suffering. Well, show that to the brothers. Love is kind. What does that mean? Gracious. Isn't God gracious with us? Of course he is. How gracious, honestly, are we with one another? I could spend the whole message on this, but let's go on. It is not jealous. What do you mean not jealous? Ah, did you see what they got? Ah, yeah, they're always in the front. They got to be up there in the front. They got to be That's just jealousy, folks. Yeah, they win, they win, they win. Yeah, that's true. You're just jealous. Paul says he runs the race to win. He doesn't run to lose. So you lost and you're jealous because they won. Something wrong with that. That's not love. What else? Love doesn't brag. It's not conceited. There's a lot of deception with conceit. We think that's always the person that's out there. And sometimes the conceit is about how humble we are. Now, I'm not like them. You want to see the bragger? That was Luke. When Luke talked about the Pharisee that was off there. I'm glad that I'm not like them. I don't do those sins. I don't get into that in my life. I give my tithes. I do my stuff. And I do everything. And the other guy got on the side and said, just God be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. That's the picture of bragging. If I was in charge, this is what I would do. Well, why don't you take some leadership and get involved? So we can help you. It says it's not arrogant, right? It's not arrogant. That's the puffed up spirit. I'm glad I'm not like that guy. My church would never do that. I know this church all too well. Yes, we would. <laughs> yes, we fail. Yes, I fail. Yes, your elders fail. Mm-hmm. So do the other workers, so do you. We do. We're not better than any other church. You've heard that from me many times. There's some churches that are so puffed up about they're the only church in the world that they don't even know that they're not even pleasing to the Lord. What else does it say? Doesn't act unbecomely. How about that one? Now this one you might not understand. You want to really know what the word means here? The literal Greek word means it is not rude. Well, I just speak my mind the way I am. You know, one of the real problems with Christian children today is they're not taught good manners, and that's where this word comes from. They doesn't behave themselves uncomely. They know how to behave in a given situation, and even their speech is guarded so that they are very conscious of whether they are going to offend or hurt somebody. They're not rude. How are we doing? It says, further, does not seek its own, is not provoked. <laughs> I don't get upset easy. I don't get irritated. Yeah, just do something wrong, and you watch. 
Yeah, I know, Pastor Dan, I've seen it. God's gracious. How about you? You get irritated very easy with one another? It's pretty practical. Well, does not take into account the wrong suffered. How about that one? If you're really loving the brethren the way Christ loved you, you won't have this long list. If you have a list that's longer than one day, you are not loving the brethren the way Christ loved you. How long is your list? How many years? How much are you still talking about in the past? About what was done to you? Or what this person did? Or what that person did? And you're going to go tell other people to love Christ? Because you're loving the brethren the way Christ loved? I don't think so. Not in God's eyes. Maybe in yours. Maybe in mine. List should be a shut. A list should be short. That's why the Lord says, even with couples, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Settle it. And my wife's sitting here. I may be wrong. We've had our things like any couple would over the year, but I know that many a time before I would close my eyes, it might be lying in bed. And it might take me a few minutes, but I would turn around and apologize because I didn't know if I was going to wake up and I didn't want to die not having reconciled with my wife or children. By the way, I fail all the time. It happened this week. My daughter's sitting here, and I went to her, and I called her aside. I apologized. I was wrong. I was wrong. Don't let a day go by. Take care of that stuff. Don't be holding. You say, but I love the brethren. Paul says that we ought to do it unhypocritical. Peter, in our text, says, you who are the saved, you who are the believers. And I didn't finish the list. He says, you who are the believers, basically, he said, I want you to have fervent love in your heart. That's the type of love that Christ has. And let people see that. That'll cover a multitude of sins, and you will function as a body that the world won't understand. The world doesn't want religion. The world doesn't want Christ because the brethren aren't loving one another, and we're losing the battle there. Don't let it happen. I have to close. Go with me back to 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again. Yeah, right, I'm born again. <clears throat> but it wasn't of seed that was perishable or imperishable. I'm not going to be able to do justice to these next couple of verses. That through the living and enduring word of God, see, it's powerful. I hope it's convicting you like it's convicting me. How, how well are you doing this morning? I'm failing as I'm standing here teaching. I am failing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't always do that. I am failing in the way I've looked at other people, in the way I've held things against other people. And I am sorry for that as your pastor. But God wants us to begin winning the battles in our loved one for another. And he says, listen, as he goes on, basically he uses the illustration, it's the word of God that endures forever, and praise the Lord for that. And that is what was preached. It was the living word that even brought us to the gospel. Let me make it this simple for closing. The living word convicted me. That's how I got saved. I had enough of religion. I had enough of the hypocrisy before I got saved and then was involved in it myself. I don't need any more. The living word convicted. 
and it brought me to salvation. And I am so grateful to some of the people that are sitting in this audience who shared the gospel, who, who was used as instruments to help me grow in my Christian life. And I thank God for that. Now I need to go on in my own Christian life, and so do you, in loving the brethren and looking out and not looking at that superficial stuff. Yes, when there's real sin, we need to pick up one another and help one another. But folks, let me close with this. Let us fervently love one another from the heart, not just with words. Let's see it. Let's see it among ourselves. I want to say this. You will see dramatic changes in your own life. This church will see dramatic changes, and all around us will see dramatic changes if they see us winning the battles dearly in our love, one for another, not from here. But when the person says there's a need, we respond. Now this, honestly, I'm just being practical. I don't know where anybody is on this. But rice needs a ride. In a church like this, somebody must be able to do that. Let me give you something else, and I don't know the outcome of this, but I'll risk it. Through CCB, a notice went out in this church because we got a phone call from somebody that wanted to visit this church and had no transportation. We sent it out to the entire church. As far as I know, as a pastor, no one responded to take that person to come in. Now, it may be, honestly, that some didn't see it, whatever but i'm saying let's make it practical that can happen that can happen to this church or any church so don't go under conviction like that other than to just realize you know it can happen to us we really we really are unsensitive because we're so occupied with ourselves my god work in our hearts today starting with me let's pray our father and god i thank you for the power of the word of god I thank you for Peter being willing to be an instrument, to be used by you to challenge those who he loved to have fervent love for the brethren from the heart. Lord, help us to be honest today. I know I've failed many, many times. And yet, Lord, I thank you for your grace in my life, your grace in working through me and how patient you are, kind, slow to anger, forgiving. Father, help me to love the brethren as you love me. Help this church to love one another as Christ has loved us. And might many be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ as they see you functioning in and through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.